The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. I'm gonna I'm gonna be cornbread and beans tonight. I'm gonna be biscuits and gravy. I'm gonna be simple Simon Pastor Rex tonight. I just want to talk about the church. Dot, dot, dot. Just the church. Throw it up there, sister. The church. There you go. All right. I want you to look at all those pictures. I look at that and I cry. You look at that and say, am I up there? That's what we are with the church. Shake somebody's hand say, I'm glad to be with you. I'm going to make several points. You might want to take some notes tonight and put it on your refrigerator later. I love you. You may be seated. God bless. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, either we believe that or we don't believe that. I believe that today. There's five things that I think a spirit-filled church does. Number one, it imparts expectancy. Number two, it imparts healing, healing of all kind. Number three, it imparts joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Number four, it imparts wonder, wonderful wonder. And number five, it imparts witness. Everybody say expectancy. Everybody say healing. Everybody say joy. Everybody say wonder. Everybody say witness. Now close your eyes. Let's say it again. Expectancy. Healing. Joy. Wonder. And witness. I love the church. Three things are pertinent in God's church. Number one, Jesus built the church. He built it. Hell cannot destroy what Jesus has constructed. In fact, hell can't even curse curse what God has blessed. Number two, he did not speak this church into existence like he did the world. He didn't speak it into existence, but he purchased it with his own blood. Acts chapter 20 said, Take heed therefore unto yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Everybody say he bought it. He bought it. And number three, not only did he, did he, did he create it and make it, not only did he purchase it with his own blood, but it's a sanctuary. Everybody say sanctuary. You know what a sanctuary is? You know, you, you know what a bird sanctuary is and a deer sanctuary? It's, it's no hunting. There's no hunting in a sanctuary. I'd like to tell you that hell is off limits in this place. There's no, there's no devil can overwhelm you in the house of God that's called a sanctuary. So David said, he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. I want you to know something. Tonight, we're going to sit down to biscuits and gravy and corn and cornbread and beans. And God's going to prepare for us something beautiful here tonight. But I will tell you this, that this is a sanctuary. There's no hunting here. 
And you can get strength in this house tonight to overcome the power and the wily, wily art of the enemy when you walk out of here. There is something powerful about the house of God. Everybody say, I love the house of God. So with this in mind, I want to tell you why I love the church of the living God so much. I read about a 97-pound Labrador retriever named Marley. He's claimed to be the world's worst dog. They've got the world's worst dog tag on him. He crashes through screen doors with alarming regularity. He goes berserk during thunderstorms, and he destroys everything in his path. He steals food off the dinner table. He slobbers incessantly. He drinks from the toilet bowl. And he eats bath towels and sponges and socks and used tissues and plastic toys and furniture and speaker covers and paychecks and even the wife's expensive gold necklace one day. He's incorrigible, and yet he's utterly lovable. Marley, a retriever. How could a master love a dog that had so many bad qualities? The reason why is because though the dog had many bad qualities, he also had some that were greater than his baddest. He's a great dog. The church, folks, and I'm not comparing you to a puppy or a 97-pound Labrador retriever, but the church is the same way. If we don't watch ourselves, we can point to faults and problems within the church. We can say, wow, look at what they're doing. Look what they're doing. We can talk about how there are decisions that we don't agree with in the church or how people frustrate us in the church or how things go on that we have a problem with. But despite of all the warts and all the farts, the church is a very lovable, lovable place. Turn to somebody that's not your wife or your husband and say, you're a lovable individual in spite of all your warts. Throughout my life, the church has meant so much to me. And I'm sure that many of you can identify with that statement. Has the church been a lifesaver for you? Can you say amen to that? I remember the night when I was nine years of age, I received the Holy Spirit at nine years of age. Received the Holy Spirit at nine years of age. I had the ugliest teacher in America. Her face in a dictionary would be where the word ugly was. A picture of her would be there. She was an ugly little old woman. In fact, I used to get tickled at her in Sunday school when she talked because when she talked, she was uglier than when she just hushed. Now, I got to be honest. But the night I received the Holy Ghost, Sister Woodall, that's her name, Sister Woodall. If you're kin to her, please forgive me because she's beautiful now. Came over to me and gave me, a little nine-year-old boy, a sloppy kiss right here on this cheek. And I looked at her, and I thought an angel had kissed me because she became beautiful that night. And you know what I did? It was my first return hug of anybody, and I hugged her back, and I kissed her on the cheek. And she said, you're beautiful, son. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I wasn't lying. I said, and you're beautiful. Thank you for being my Sunday school teacher. And I just cried. It's amazing what can happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon a church. The church has been very good to me and very special to me in many times, in many areas. I think that many of the problems people have with the church is because they fail to see the good and they only see the warts and the bad things that Marley, the Labrador Retriever, does. It's one's perception, not a reality, that promotes some of the warts and not the beauty of the church. I want you to look around you tonight. I want you to look around you. What you see around you is what's going to be in heaven with you someday. Do you want to go to heaven with the person beside you or you want to say, no, I want them to go to hell while I go to heaven. I'm tired of them. 
If you can look around and see anybody in this church you don't want to go to heaven with, then you've got an issue with the church. It's time to see everybody as God sees everybody. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. If you're pure in heart, you see God in everything that happens. And so when a person is consistently backsliding and consistently going away from God, and yet they come back and they repent, and they, they, find, they find the presence of God again in their life, we should never stop clapping and praising. Because God is a God of second chances. God is a God of third chances. He's a God of fourth chances. God doesn't give up. And if God doesn't give up, the church will not give up because the church is God's commitment to this world. He built it. He built it. So I love the church because Christ loves the church. Everybody say, I love the church because Jesus loves it. When we love someone, we tend to love what they love. See, my heirloom. My, my, my art collections, the car that I used to drive, the little 2005 Thunderbird that I traded away, could be valueless to some, but it, to me it was priceless. And I want, I, want to, I want to love what God loves in life. God loved Jacob and he hated Esau. You know why? Because Jacob loved the things of God and Esau was a vain man with a profane mind. Let me describe profaneness to you. There was an area around the tabernacle was called the profane area. It was unfenced. There was no fence to protect you from it. You just had to know where it was and you had to go around it. What they did, they put all the, all the, all the bones there, all of the dead things there. They put the, When they scraped a house of leprosy, they put all the leprosy in that pile and all the stuff and they'd cover it. It was like a, it was like a, a, a trash dump right outside the house of God. And a man could not venture through there and even at night he knew where it was and how far it reached out because it was told don't go to the profane area but it was an unprotected area where dead stuff was and where dead stuff lay and there's a lot of people that don't know how to get around the profane areas of life they keep walking and digging in the dead areas right outside the house of God I'm telling you there's some profane areas that we need to avoid and, and, and when you avoid those areas, you start loving the things of God, you'll start avoiding those areas. And God says, you know what? I love that in them and I love that in him because he is understanding that my principles and my dominion and my power is greater than anything in this world. So Christ gave himself for his church. He laid down his life for it. He takes care of the church. He's more than words. He's a God of action. He hurts when the church hurts. Acts 9, Saul on the road to Damascus had letters in his pocket that was going to persecute the church even more and God struck him down on that road because he is the head. You can't love the head without loving the body. You can't love a God whom you have not seen and not love people whom you have seen. And I'm telling you, I love what God loves because Christ loves the church, so I'm going to love the church. Clap your hands and say amen to that. And I love the church because the church is God's family. Everybody say we're family. Every family has secrets, but the family does not divulge those secrets to the world because we protect family. Why embarrass family? I promise you, as long as I've been preaching in this pulpit, I have never and I will never embarrass anybody in this church. Why humiliate a brother? Why humiliate a sister? We're children of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're my brother. You're my sister. So take me by the hand. If you want to, give me a little money. Amen. No, I'm... We're all connected. We're all connected. 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? There are people that come here that have no biological family. We need to step up. They have no family at all if we don't step up. We need to be big brothers, big sisters, adopted moms and dads, closer than even blood families because there's nothing like the family of God. Amen. Everybody say we're family. I love the church because of strong relationships. There's a common bond in the church. Special relationships can be formed in those bonds. There's parents in the house with children in ball. My grandson, my oldest grandson, and, my, and Brad and Cass's oldest son are both ball players. One plays for Bowie High School and one plays T-ball. But that's the bond with the world for parents and kids. Moms have kids in dance and fathers have kids in, in gymnastics in this church and business bonds and partnerships with firms and doctor's offices and, and school and PTA. But the difference in the church is that it's a soul connection. It's a soul connection. The church really cares about your destiny, your soul, where you will spend eternity. See, the giant redwoods, the sequoias out in California have a shallow root system. The roots do not run in the ground. Yet they're strong because they connect together on top of the ground and they link up. And they link up and withstand high winds and storms because of their interlocking grip on one another. It's not how deep you can go, it's how much you can hold on. There's safety in numbers and there's power in numbers. And God has established a wonderful numbered church here. And people believe in God in this house. And people trust God. You don't show up on Wednesday night without loving God. Amen. You don't show up here on Wednesday night with thinking God is your portion. Why don't you reach out and just kind of take somebody by the hand all the way across here right now and say, come on, let's interlock and let's be brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you. That's enough. First John. First John chapter 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, I tell you what, I'm getting my energy back. I feel like doing a little two-step on that one. Everybody say, he cleanses us from all sin. Christian fellowship is different than worldly fellowship. And that one grows spiritually in Christian fellowship. It really does. The cards, the letters, the concerns that come from the church help us develop into great Christians. Proverbs says it this way, he that walks with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 27, 17 said, iron sharpens iron. You believe that? Amen. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I love the church, number four, because of its impact on the community. I love the church because it impacts the community. This church has an impact on the community. I tell our staff, I tell our staff this all the time. I say, guys, when you go out to eat, look for somebody from this church. You're going to find somebody. And so make sure that when you go out and you eat at a restaurant that you act like a, a pastor and not an upset patron in that restaurant. We teach that in this church. So I'm going to teach that to you right now. This church has a name that lives in this city. And I thank God for that. Would you clap your hands with that? Because I thank God for that. That's not boasting. I'm boasting in the Lord. This church has a beautiful name. And when you go out and represent Jesus Christ, represent him in the best way that you can. Because I promise you, people have come and have seen you in this church. 
It's amazing what happens in this house. I was at a, I was at a place of business not long ago, and I, I saw a, a couple just kind of having a, a sweet time together. They were just talking, and, and, and I knew they were both members of this church, and they didn't see me. And I said, hey, how y'all doing? Oh, pastor. <laughs> and the young ladies here tonight, I said, you never know where I'm going to show up. <laughs> what a joy to just walk in a business, and that business is a business that's fostered out of Christian Life Church. Amen. What a joy to walk into a restaurant, and the person that seats you is a member of Christian Life Church. You're liable to get a seat right up front. What a joy to walk into a place of business. It's a cleaners or something, and they clean your clothes, and they say, you know what? I'm a part of that church. I told you it was cornbread and beans tonight. But I love the church because it is an impact on the community that we walk in. We're not doing this in a corner. This thing is massive. It's getting bigger. And last Sunday was 40% of the 10,000 soul revival that God has promised me. I believe with all my heart. I believe with all my heart that this church is going to grow and going to continue to expand. Get ready for one of the greatest end time revivals that we've ever known in our life. Hallelujah. Clubs and social groups do amazing things. I'm thankful for them. They raise money to build hospitals. They find cures for diseases. They feed the hungry. They lobby for moral issues that are important to us. Those things will never make an impact on a community that the church will make. The church is still the conscience of a society. What we believe still matters to this world. What we teach and preach still matters to society. The church has shown love and compassion to the unlovable. The untouchables become lovable by the church. So much is about what you have and don't have when you're living in the world. In the church, it is a matter of just loving people. It's not about a, your bank account or your education it's a, or a roll call of friends. It is just as I am without one plea. The church still influences lives. It still influences people. I read where Jeffrey Dahmer, and you know who Jeffrey Dahmer was. He was a serial killer. Killed so many people. But I hear that he found Jesus in prison before he died. He found Jesus. No club could do that, folks. No society. Just the power of the Lord through the church. A minister. We have prison ministers. And 30 were baptized Saturday night in our prison services. And one man's love to the unlovable. One man's love. And a man repents and finds Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, folks, the church has the greatest impact on community that you could ever imagine. Would you clap your hands and say, I'm proud of a part of the church. Now, I'm going I'm to list six people that the church can't do without. I'm going to list six people the church cannot do without. You need to write this down. Philippians chapter 1, 3 through 7 said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Paul's talking to those beautiful Philippian saints. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. Because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. You are all partakers of my grace. Say amen to that word. Philippi is my favorite church to read about. I know it's just four little old chapters. I know that. 
I love the Philippians. I love them. Paul wrote about the mind or about the thought at least 16 times in that book. This church brought Paul so much joy in his life, even in prison. They sent a man to him called Epaphroditus who loved Paul even though he was in his chains and brought all kinds of gifts from the Philippian church. There are some churches, folks, that just have a ministry outside the walls of the house of God. It's not just huddling here and going out and doing what you want to do, but we take this gospel and we take this church out to the people in the street. CLC has brought much joy to me in my life. I remember when I came here in 1990, I remember I was just nine years away from the tragedy and my wife and I had just been married eight years. And we were young and we were ambitious and we wanted God to do a great thing. And I'll never forget the first time I stepped into this pulpit. I preached a message from Philippians, the Philippian gospel. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And the crux of the message was simply this. And I'm going to share it with you in about two sentences. Paul said, I've got a God so big, he can take care of my needs and yours. I've got a God so big. See, there's some people that are need-oriented, and there's some folks that live with a God consciousness. And this church has switched. It's not a need-oriented church any longer. It's a God-conscious church. And when a church becomes God-conscious, it can take care of a lot of people's situations all at one time. Like 89 people getting baptized this weekend, or 100 people coming to the Lord this weekend, or over 4,100 coming to Jesus. I'm here to tell you, folks, this church has not seen its best days. The best is yet to come for Christian Life Church right here in Austin, Texas. I believe that. You folks make life worthwhile. You cause my heart to swell with joy. I could hardly go to sleep Sunday night for the joy that I felt about this church. Here's a list of people this church cannot do without. Number one, the church cannot do without faithful people. The Bible nowhere commends anyone for greatness or brilliance, but rather for faithfulness. Matthew 25, 21 said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know the name perhaps as a disease, but in 1927, a man named Lou Gehrig of the New York Yankees was an outstanding baseball player of the year. And during his lifetime, he played in more consecutive games than any other man in history of the sport up till his time. He never missed a game. They called him the Iron Man of Baseball. Some say they're a team player. But sometimes they miss a whole lot of games. That's, that's getting rampant in the National Basketball Association. I think I'll just set out tonight. What made Lou Gehrig so great? It was his faithfulness. A record he had until Cal Ripken Jr. finally broke it several years ago. Every day he was out there on first base doing his best. Faithfulness, say it with me, faithfulness Faithfulness. produces faith. In fact, it's the fullness, say it, it's the fullness fullness. of faith. Everybody say faithfulness. Faith to this fullness. Turn to somebody and say, be here Sunday. Number two, the church cannot do without willing people. Oh, we have willing people all right in some of our churches. Some are willing to work and others are willing to let them. (laughs) 
Ezekiel chapter 22 said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I could, that I should not destroy it. And I hate the last four words, but I found none. Church members who are willing to do the work of the world, but not the work of the Lord, are in a sad state. The job calls them and they go. The club calls them and they go. The lodge calls them and they go. The outside organizations calls them and they are ready and willing. The Lord calls them and the church calls them and they're too busy. A man told me one time, I don't do night service because that's when I do family night. We have Sunday night service back in those days. And he said, I don't do Sunday night because that's my family night. But he gave all the other nights that he had to his life and his pleasures. And he came in many times, I know, because his wife talked to me after 11, 12 o'clock at night. But he didn't have time to come to church on Sunday night because it was family night. Christians ought to be willing and flexible with the Lord's work. The Lord and the church ought to have top priorities in our life. Can I teach to you a little bit? This is the only part that's going to get tough, but I'm going to preach to you a little bit. Other things will die at the setting sun. Only what's done for Jesus Christ is going to last. Seek first. Say it. Seek first. The kingdom of God. His righteousness and all these other things. Which group are you in? The willing or the whining? Around here, the squeaky wheel does not get the oil. You cannot complain about what needs improving, or you can volunteer and ask, what can I do to help this improve? You can complain or you can volunteer. I like this statement. The grasshopper on the fence makes more noise than the ox in the field. But the ox does the work. Not so much about what is said, but what is done. Those who really love the Lord say, any place that I can serve suits me. We need people in the area of discipleship right now. We need mentors. We need folks that will step up and say, Pastor, I'll be here. I'll come put my arm around people. I'll come and encourage those that need encouragement. We need that in this church. Would you help me? Let's have a great post-Easter in the name of the Lord. The third thing, the church cannot do without is people of vision. Amen. What are you seeing for the future of this church? Come on, let's talk. What are you seeing? Are you seeing big? You got to think big. You got to dream big. You got to talk big. Not braggadocia, but you got to talk big. You got to believe that God can do anything. Everybody say, God can do anything. Proverbs 29 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know what that means? It means they take off all restraints. It becomes nothing but just a group of people around a golden calf in the valley while Moses is up top getting the word from the Lord. I'm here to tell you, where there, where there is vision, there will always be provision. We need people that can see beyond what we have right here. Where are we going to be five years from now? I got a feeling I know where we're going to be five years from now. We're going to be doing this thing three and four times on Sunday with an auditorium that will seat up to probably 1,700 people because we're going to reach that 10,000 soul revival. I believe that with all my heart. And by the time we get there, I'm going to be dreaming of 20 and 30 because I do not want to leave this world. I do not want to leave this world not doing all I could to reach everybody that I can. People need Jesus in this hour. And where there is no vision, we will perish. Let's have vision. Let's believe that God can do anything. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice. Number four, the church cannot do without optimistic people. There's a book beside my bed that I, don't, I didn't read all the way through because it's about that thick, but it's called Learned Optimism. I love that book. 
when I just when I feel like maybe I'm got a little downer on the inside, a little down feeling, I pick up learned optimism. I wish I could tell you it was the Bible. It's not, but it's a great book. And what I learned is this: if you can learn hopelessness, you can learn optimism. It's all in how you how you look at. It. Now I'm I'm going to share something with you right now. I'm going to share something with you. Listen to me. I learned something the other day that I want to share with this church, and it's powerful to me, so I hope it blesses you. When you think a negative thought, it does not affect the whole brain. It just affects that part. Stay with me. But the only way to affect the whole brain is to speak what you're thinking and let it come in the ear gate. And when it comes in the ear gate, then it messes up the whole brain. So, <laughs> you know what's coming. If you don't have anything positive and uplifting to say, and I, and, and I don't want to hear somebody saying, you know what, you know what, I'm just not going to say nothing. <laughs> Listen, why destroy your negative, your positive brain by speaking something that you just had a little whim about and letting your whole mind get irrigated by that negative thought. You see, the Bible said only God knows the heart and tries the reins. Hell don't know what's going on in here. Don't speak it out and tell hell everything that's negative in your life. When you open up your mouth, say, the Lord liveth. God is my refuge. He's my hope. He's my healer. He's my strength. I'm moving forward. God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? I will not be denied. I will not be defeated. I will win in this thing called life. Learn optimism. Learn it. Moses sent out 12 spies. And all of them saw it was good in Canaan. But 10 of them looked for obstacles. Well, only two of them looked for opportunity. They all said it was good. But the pessimists and the negative thinkers won out. And as a result, Israel wandered for 40 years in a wilderness that should have taken just an 11-day journey all the way from Egypt to the promised land. We need optimistic people. Come on, put a smile on your face and say, God is. God is. God is. Able. To do, to do exceeding, exceeding abundantly, abundantly above that, above we can ask or think. All right, here, here's the fifth one. The church cannot do without liberal people. And I'm not talking about politics. I don't talk politics in this church. Who are liberal people? Somebody say, well, I'm conservative. Well, you should be. You should be. But not when it comes to giving. The word conservative simply, simply means literal. In other words, we don't change the word of God. We believe the fundamental, foundational truths of the word of God, including tithing and other forms of giving. I wish everybody could be baptized with the spirit of tithing in this church. Just get baptized with it. In fact, we're going to have a tithing baptism next Sunday. Just... <laughs> this would apply to giving of our time, and our talents and our treasures, which, by the way, is really God's, and he allows us to manage it for him. Listen to me. You cannot go wrong by blessing the kingdom of God. 
It is the most awesome blessing. It gives the best returns. And by the way, when you die and go to heaven or get caught up in the rapture, you, you, got, you, you, you can't even believe what kind of mansion's going to be waiting on you. You can't believe you're going to leave this old terra firma and walk on streets of gold with walls of jasper and gates of pearl. Hey, folks, heaven's a real place. The retirement is awesome. Why don't you just back up and say, I'm going to start being a giver of my gifts and my time and my talent to the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. We don't need to change what God has in the word of God. He, he loves givers. Rick Warren is one of my heroes. And he said on CNN, it's not, it's not a sin to be rich. But it's a sin to die rich. When you could have given it away to the kingdom of God or to a mission. Do your giving while you're living. And don't leave much to the Antichrist. At the end, Jesus in the treasury saw people giving, and he saw a widow woman give everything she had, but she gave two mites. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's not, it's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. And if we're going to build, and we will build, the church right here, if we're going to build that church, we need people to get a hold of a giving principle. And I want to congratulate everybody that is a giver in this church. I want to congratulate you. In fact, we need to clap our hands for those people because the lights are on tonight. Come on, clap your hands for people that give. Come on. If you're a giver, clap your hands for yourself. Come on, clap your hands. It's amazing. It's amazing. I had a little money. I had a little money put up. And Sunday we had so beautiful, such a beautiful day with all the cameras. I said, we need those cameras. And somebody said, well, Pastor, they cost a little bit. I said, whatever. I went, in, I went into my, my treasure, amen, and I bought two cameras for this church. That's not, I don't want applause for that. But I want this church to be the very best it can be. And the reason I bought it, because I didn't run it by the board. And I didn't want to get in trouble in my 27th year of the pastorate, saying I spent money that I shouldn't have spent. I just went ahead and bought them myself. Now, I'm going to ask the board to let the church pay me back. No, I'm not either. <laughs> but I just think we ought to be excellent Amen. in everything we do. And Sunday was an excellent Sunday. And I want this church to continue to be excellent. And for all you people who are liberal in your giving, I applaud you today. And the rest of you, I love the fire out of you because I don't know if you do or not. But I want you to know it's a blessing to be a giver in the kingdom of God. God loves liberal people. Say amen to that. Well, you're either going to love me or I'm going to get letters this week. <laughs> See, this house deserves to be clean. It costs money. God deserves to have a great youth and kids ministry here. God deserves to have light bulbs changed and mechanical things maintained. God deserves that new parking lot and new paint from time to time. And he deserves more than just needs. If anyone deserves to be treated first class, it's our God. Our God needs to be treated first class. Let's treat him first class, folks. Let's be givers. Let's make this place shine. I love this church. And the sixth thing the church would not do, cannot do, without its promoters. We need promoters. We need people to say, you know what? I go to the best church in town. I got a bald-headed preacher over there. You don't have to say anything about that. In fact, I tell people, here's what I, here's what I tell people. Here's, what, here's, my, here's my stand. Here's what I say. Come and hear our music. Come hear our music, and then you'll put up with me for about 20, 25 minutes. 
and you'll love it. And you know what? That sells. Because I promise you, we have some of the finest music you'll ever hear anywhere. I, I congratulate our music. And what I love, what I love is that they're not fighting. You know, when Lucifer got kicked out of heaven, he was a, he was a music director in heaven. He got kicked out. He fell right in the choir loft. And if you're going to have issues in a church, it's going to be in the music department. I thank God for 27 years we hadn't had any of that. The Lord's given us peace. And that's why the music's so sweet and coming. I told you it's going to be biscuits and gravy tonight. Every now and then I just got to get back to the old original. We need boosters. We need people who are out every day in every walk of life telling others of the good times and the blessings to be had at Christian Life Church. Soon they'll know we got something worthwhile for them. I like the slogan seen on some doors. Come in without knocking, go out the same way. Remember, if you knock the church, you're knocking yourself for you are the church. So listen, you don't have to knock to get in, don't knock going out. If you want your church to grow and prosper, promote it. The Bible said, be rid of the scorner and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. We need contention and scorn and mindsets to be released. And we all start talking the good things of God. And above all, we need our God more than anything in this world. We need our God. Moses said, thanks for the houses, Lord, the vineyards, the wells. But I'll... I'm not going another step without your presence because we need your presence. I must have the Lord in my life. And that's final and that's it. One day years ago, a man set out on a jet ski from Chicago's Wilson Avenue boat ramp and headed north along the shoreline of Lake Michigan. And after traveling around, if you'll help me, several miles north, about 3 p.m. he turned around and headed back south to go back to the, to the, to the dock. And all of a sudden, his jet ski just quit, just quit. Unable to restart it, he floated along nonchalantly, expecting help to come in the busy waters of Chicago. Gradually, though, the wind and the waves pushed him further and further away from shore, and help did not come. By dusk, he was frantic and dressed only in cutoffs and tennis shoes and a life preserver. He spent the night in the chilly waters on top of that sea dew. The next day, the Coast Guard helicopters and the Chicago Fire Department choppers equipped with special radar began searching for the lost man. And by the end of the day, they still had not found him. So that hungry and sunburned, he was forced to spend another night in the dark waters of Lake Michigan. Morning came and he was found, finally, by the Coast Guard. Here is the point. They kept looking until they found him. You know why? Because they knew he was there. They knew he was there. I want to thank God for a church that can rescue and restore and generate power in people's lives. And I would like to say in closing, not hang on, world. The church is coming. And we will pull you to safety because this church is about reaching people that don't know Jesus Christ. I want you to I want you to do something for me tonight I, 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 uh, I won't preach again like this for about another year but Easter was such a blessing and we saw the potential of what God had for this church and I won't just come tonight and just say we need six kinds of people in this church we can't do without those kind of people and God is going to continue to bless this church 
You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on record. What time is it? I, it's, it's time for me to hush. I know that. I want to I say this, that um, I think one of the greatest dimensions of this congregation is the love of God. Let me tell you something. When I walk up to you, anybody in this church, I have never had any kind of rebuff or scorn or negativism. And I want to thank God for that. Love, the love of God permeates this house. And love is not the fastest growth. Power and zeal and all that stuff probably, probably grows it faster. But I promise you, love wins. There abideth faith, hope, and charity. The greatest of these is... So I'm going to tell you something. We're going to keep loving people. We're going to keep feeding people. We're going to keep leading people. And we'll never beat people.